be shift boss. Okay, radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. Did a tear in the vent bag. Minister Johnson, thanks very much for having me in the uh, this Dumas house with a fantastic view. Yeah, it's got a great view. Yeah, well, thanks for coming up to uh, see us. It's one of the most extraordinary things is the first day as a minister walking into this office and looking around and thinking, oh, my God, this is what they're giving me. It was pretty amazing. And then you realise you've got to get to work. Yeah, and that's it. Sitting exactly looking, right. Looking at the view for a whole day. So yeah, a lot indeed. more um, atmosphere than our last one over the phone. So I really appreciate you having me in. No worries at all. And as you said, you didn't uh, get blown away at diggers physically. No, it was- Sounds uh, like some people nearly did. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing um, seeing the storm come through. Uh, in the end, it wasn't quite as bad as expected, but nonetheless, it was very disruptive and the- uh, diggers had to uh, pack up early, so I missed most of the uh, most of the show. Yep, I will be on next year. With better Indeed. weather, hopefully. Let's hope so. Um, it, I mean, I was able to stay for the dinner, which is always uh, good, uh, and I was able to do some meetings up there. But it's disappointing that I didn't get to uh, engage with more uh, d- exhibitors. Yes, well, speaking of engagement, we've got a bit of a topic list today. There's okay. a lot of, uh, I guess, mining. You've probably never been busier, have you? With uh, Mining is really at the forefront at the moment. Critical minerals, all the EV yeah. revolution. It's pretty amazing, you know, the uh, mining industry in Western Australia has never been stronger. Uh, exploration is up uh, um, and it's now a bigger share of the national total than before. Uh, production is up. Uh you know, we we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but uh, prices are pretty good for a range of commodities, and so uh, it's it's doing quite well at the minute. So we'll get into the WA Critical Minerals Prospectus that came out recently. Uh, fancy looking document. How about no better person than yourself to explain what it is all about, how it's come about, and what it's going to achieve for the state and the world, really. Yeah, no worries. Look, uh, West Australia's uh, future battery industry strategy kicked off a number of years ago, and um, we developed up an idea about how to encourage downstream processing in the battery materials uh, space. We also realised that critical minerals were very important, so rare earth and other metals that go into uh, modern technology, so we want to support that as well. So we expanded the battery industry strategy to include critical minerals. And so what the next iteration, the next step forward is the uh, uh, is the um, prospectus. So we're able to give this to potential investors to explain why Western Australia is the right place to invest in the processing of uh, modern uh, metals like lithium, nickel, copper, uh, and uh, rare earths. So I guess what are the... The, the government's involvement in all of this, you've got, you know, you've got your mining companies and the shareholders and everything running, that sort of things, the um, funds investing and everything. What's, I guess, the government's involvement going to be with this, yeah, I guess, so progressing all these, the exploration and progressing yeah. those exploration projects into production? Yeah, so we support the exploration sector including in critical minerals through the Exploration Incentive Scheme, and we've had a number of great successes uh, from the EIS to support those uh, activities. Just as an example, uh, we funded um, Linus to do more uh, exploration on their Mount World project to show that it goes very deep. So that shows that that mine can go on for many years into the future, and that means they were prepared to invest in the facility in Kalgoorlie 
to uh, um, you know, the first step down the processing of rare earths, and they've also been prepared to invest in a ma massive expansion of uh, Mount Weld as well. So that's just an example of a way we can support the exploration sector. We can support the uh, the um, mining sector by having uh, effective uh, uh, regulations so that they can go to their global customers and know that their product uh, produced in good uh, standards, uh, you know, environmental social governance standards, which are so important in the mining industry now. And then we're also supporting the investment in the processing of those materials into chemicals. Um, and so we can provide land and infrastructure for uh, developers in that space. And we've also supported research and development to help those companies uh, move down that uh, processing step. Uh, we're supporting them in the skills development they need because these are often very highly skilled occupations. But the good news is that the people that work on process plants at a mine site are very good at also working in these chemical plants as well. So you can see that it's a it's a broad strategy for every step of the pathway towards making batteries here in Western Australia. Now, the, the EIS that you mentioned at the start, Exploration Incentive Scan, I'm looking at a massive map of all the <laughs> uh, <laughs> where where it's happening all through Western Australia. Yeah. Explain it in detail. Is it is it as simple as the government provides funding for drill holes, more drill holes to go into the ground to find more? How does it work? Yeah, and so how, do, how do companies apply for it and who's eligible? Sure. So there are two elements to the exploration incentive scheme. So uh, one half of the money, so $7.5 million a year, is given to the Geological Survey of Western Australia to do pre-competitive pre data acquisition to make sure that potential explorers have even more data before they make their decision about where they go. So that way you're de-risking uh, mm. the exploration sector to provide better information for choosing your target. So is, that, so is that money going towards like your electromagnetic surveys that's and correct. prior to exploration? That's yep. right. And, and uh, you know, we're doing the, what's called WA Array at the moment where we're going to do um, – Acoustic survey across the whole state at ten kilometre uh, intervals, and now that's mm. uh, you know that's something really new. Uh, applying technology that's been used in the oil and gas sector to the mining industry to give people a better idea of what's uh, what the what's there uh, under underground, because we know that you know finding metal minerals uh, undercover is much mm. more difficult because these new projects often don't have any outcropping, so there's mm. no surface indication of the mine. Just give the example of, uh, you know, um, some of these projects uh, where they're, they're, you know, the, 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 the ore body doesn't start until 400 metres mm. underground. So it's really a new way of, of looking at geology. And the second thing is then the $7.5 million towards the uh, co-funded drilling program. So we've uh, increased the maximum uh, payments to 180000 for a multi-hole project, $220,000 for a... Uh, uh, deep holes and forty thousand dollars for prospectors, and so that allows people to get up to fifty percent of the cost of drilling uh, paid for by government. And of course, that means that we get more drilling, but it also means that data is released to the community faster. That again helps other people look for uh, you know better interpretation of the geology. Again, de-risking people's investment into exploration. And so now, when I became minister. WA was half, you know, 50% of exploration in Australia was mm. here in WA. Now it's 60% of all exploration in Australia is in WA. Yeah. So it shows that the exploration industry in WA is growing, not only growing 
in total, it's growing as a share of the national economy. So that's really good to see. I reckon we could sign you off for your geology degree after <laughs> being in this role. You're right, right in the helm of it, aren't you? Yeah, look, uh, I don't I don't uh, uh, say that I've got any great knowledge of geology, but I do have some really clever people working mm. at the department who are good enough to, you know, try and explain these complicated issues to me mm. because, if you know, I'm just a layperson. If I can understand, mm. then I can explain it to others. So I think that's really important. Doing a, doing a bloody good job, I oh, will say. Yeah. Much, <laughs> I might learn. I'll learn in plenty so far. <laughs> um, and uh, small cap mining companies today, is it a matter of just uh, applying directly to the government to get this yeah. scheme in, in advance of their exploration underway, getting underway? That's right. You you make application to the Department of Mines, Industry, Regulation and Safety. And whilst it's not exclusively available to small caps, small caps generally get most of the EIS money. We do sometimes support innovation mm. uh, in some of the larger companies because that's a, one of the reasons that will support a particular project is either if it's going to somewhere new, like a new part of the state, or if they're using new technology to do the work, uh, or if they're chasing a metal like rare earth that is very important to the government so there's a like a matrix of decision that the department uses to see who uh, gets the money so we're currently on uh, round 26 um, uh, and uh, you know we've we've put 80 million dollars in funding for these uh, this program since I became minister back in 2017 so you know it's a really important part of what we're doing Yep. Now on to the next step, which is just as challenging, if not more challenging, as a as a bottleneck is the capital f mm. to get these, I guess, exploration projects into production. Because yep. um, I'm sure you've seen yeah plenty of projects getting hold up, but trying to find a a joint venture partner to fund the capital to get the processing side because uh, it's uh, no good to anyone without the processing element. You can blow up as much stuff as you want. Yeah, well, it's true but, that, um, you know, there's, there's always a trick about getting uh, projects financed and uh, sometimes one of the challenges is that, uh, you know, where your, your off-taker is your financer. Mm. Um, so, uh, but we've seen some really good success like at Pilbara Minerals where they've, um, you know, increased production uh, and now they've got uh, you know sales direct to um, to users, uh, getting around some of the challenges that people have. Uh, and we've seen uh, you know a lot of people committing to downstreaming. You know we've seen IGO buy into um, Tianchi's uh, lithium processing plant. I was visited that just the other day, and that's really exciting. And they they've got their first train in um, what they call uh, customer. Um, acceptance trials because you know because it's a chemical plant they have to make sure that the chemical is exactly what the customers want that's not like just a, a well, you know, lithium is very sensitive to um, yeah so they, they and and they also it's, it's believe it or not they can only have one part per billion of uh, of metallic of iron mm. in the in the lithium so it's really an incredibly high standard they have to process too and so that's uh, takes quite a long time for them to demonstrate that they can get it to the needs of the customer. So they've got that uh, first train pretty right now. They'll go back and start building, uh, finishing the construction of the train too. And then they've got space for two more trains uh, down there. We've got uh, a couple of companies looking at high purity alumina, uh, which is uh, used in, in uh, uh, componentry and batteries. It's It has to be... Uh, what they call seven nines, ninety nine point nine 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 percent pure, 
which you know it's just an extraordinary. So it's a it's really not game. a matter of rounding up. No, no. it's it's incredible <laughs> how they do it. Yeah, you know, I think they've got it at five nines and they're trying to get to six nines and they yeah. eventually seven nines because this has to be purely alumina and not anything else. Um, and we've got graphite uh, projects underway. You know, we've got uh, lots of uh, and, and nickel sulfate with BHP. There's other people looking at nickel sulfate. Now we've got people looking at what they call precursor chemicals, which is the chemicals that go into the battery. So it takes those chemicals and combines them into other chemicals that go yep. into the battery. So, you know, it's a really exciting time in the battery processing space, like it is in rare earths. Mm. You've got Linus in Kalgoorlie. Mm. Um, uh, with the cracking and leaching, and in the future we'd hope further downstreaming. We've got uh, Aluka at uh, Eniaba uh, with a um, cracking, leaching and separating and Hastings Technology Metals looking at uh, Onslow for their uh, rare earth processing plant. So, you know, Western Australia is the place to go uh, for rare earths and battery metals outside of China, and that's a really exciting opportunity. And uh, it would be very satisfying to see that well, I guess we've been notoriously been known for blowing it up, shipping a concentrate off over to China yeah. and everyone else doing the yeah. doing the dirty work, but sure. getting that actual downstream processing side in Western yeah. Australia now and the well the fact that we're doing more work on it and yeah. the jobs that it creates that it have to be under your uh leadership <laughs> would have to yeah. be pretty satisfying, I it, assume. It has been very satisfying seeing uh, people being able to make a go of the investment because in the end, people have to make money mm. and if they don't make money, they won't do it. And that's what happened in the iron and steel industry because you can't make money making iron, uh, steel in Western Australia um, and so we exported the ore. Uh, but we can go downstream here, particularly because this is about new demand, not existing demand. And in, indeed, even in the iron and steel area, we think we can do some early stage processing uh, using renewable energy here in Western Australia so that uh, we can move further down the uh, steel making value chain. I don't think we'll make steel itself, but making the components, you know, like uh, pellets or, or even pig iron here in Western Australia using renewable energy. Why why can't we make money out of steel in Western Australia? Well, La labour costs? Or? Yeah, well, it's yes, it's labour costs and shipping costs. I mean, if you're, and the other thing is, you've got to think about this, like I think it's 8 million people work in the iron and steel industry in China. The Chinese government wants all those people to have a job, so they'll protect their industry. So it's about being a good partner with those uh, Asian steel mills that buy iron ore. And so now, because of decarbonisation, they're on a journey to change the way their industry works. So we can change the way our industry works to add value here in, in Australia by using renewable energy to part process the iron ore, uh, particularly magnetite, into higher value product. It's not going to be finished steel, but it'll still create extra jobs, extra demand here in Australia. Mm -hmm. And it'll also secure our iron ore industry for the long term because... Um, there are structural reasons that in 10 years' time, iron ore will be, uh, the demand for iron ore will have changed uh, because as uh, countries uh, move down their development pathway, um, they use less steel per person. So the United States uses less steel than per person than China does because China's still mm. building infrastructure. So because we know that's going to happen, we want to get to a better position in the iron ore value chain for the future. And that's why we think we can apply renewable energy here in Australia to process this material into uh, either pellets or, or pig iron to go into the blast furnaces and the and the electric arc furnaces in Asia, uh, particularly in Japan and Korea, where they're 
got a very strong urge to decarbonise. So we think we're an ideal partner for that next step in the iron and steel industry. And a lot of a lot of research and development and everything going into this renewable side. Uh, yeah, it's an easy acronym to remember this one. <laughs> FBICRC. Yeah. I <laughs> broke it up. Two yeah. totally ir- irrelevant um, acronyms, <laughs> but that's how I remember it. Right. Uh, the Future Battery Industries Cooperative Research Centre yeah, so uh, at Curtin University. Is yeah. it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, it's, it's at many universities, but the, but the good news is that just recently we opened at Curtin University through the FBI CRC, yeah. we opened what's called a precursor chemical pilot plant. So this is to prove up the capacity to take Western Australian nickel and other other ores and turn them into battery chemicals. Yeah. So these are called precursor chemicals. There's a long steps to make a battery, but one of them is you make a precursor chemical, then you turn that into a gel, and then that goes into a cell to make a battery. So it's another step along the value chain. It's uh, very exciting. There are a number of companies looking at uh, this investment here in Western Australia. So if we can prove up the technology at that mm. test facility, then that reduces the risk for investors because they can use that process circuit yep. in the same way as you've got a process circuit at a gold mine uh, and you have to make sure the process circuit works. This is the same thing but on a more complicated basis. Mm. And so we're trying to prove up that you can do that here in Perth. And is so the purpose of that is to take that technology, put it into a, a much larger scale and yep. actually have produce battery like physical batteries for yeah. electric vehicles and whatever That's renewable correct. sources in Western Australia and export them and or use them within the country is that, that the- that's exactly right yeah. so we you know we we'd, we'd aim to have uh, two two different value chains one is to produce the chemicals which are higher value than the original uh, uh, mined ore and the second is to uh, and export that to other people. Yeah. And the second is to make batteries here uh, for the use in the uh, industry here in Western Australia. Because you, every time you put in a renewable energy plant or a um, like a, a solar farm or a wind farm, you'll need a battery to help you manage the output. Because obviously, the uh, renewable energy doesn't provide the same level of energy all the time, you like the you would with a gas-fired power station. Mm. Sometimes it goes up and sometimes it comes down, but you need the output, so you need the battery to balance that out. So we think we'll have a big demand for batteries here in the southwest interconnected system, so that's the yep. western power bit. Uh, we're, we're already installing a big battery down in uh, Quinana, uh, and we're going to have lots more of those. So that one is what we call 200 megawatt hours, 100 megawatts. We expect to need four and a half thousand megawatt hours. Oh, right. So you can see that that's just the start, the one down in Quinana. Yep. So that battery demand, we'd love to see that being uh, uh, produced here in Perth. So that, that, Australia. that battery demand you think is mostly going to be towards uh, energy storage for renewables more than the electric vehicle side of things? So, so there'll be a lot of electric vehicle demand and that'll be for the chemicals rather than the batteries because if yep. you think about the cost of transporting the batteries from Australia to somewhere else in the world, it, we might not be able to compete with the battery factory that's right next to the mm. to the uh, car plant, but they'll still need the chemicals. And so we can do the chemicals here and export the chemicals. So you want to have both those chains. You need both the chemical chain and you need the battery itself. Yeah, oh, sure. and it'd have to bring a lot of value to the, like, let's just use be it Nickel West for an example, yeah. like being able to actually send their nickel just to 
not far at all to produce yeah. all these chemicals rather than have to ship it all over the world. Like the, the value for the nickel would be That's a lot higher. Exactly right. So they, they, BHP's already installed their nickel sulfate plant. I don't know exactly how much, but the, yeah. the, in terms of the extra value, but you think about it, previously they were exporting the nickel to uh, Asian customers who yeah. then converted into nickel sulfate and then that goes into the precursor chemical that goes into the battery. Yeah. So now we're capturing that value at Quinana. And there are other companies that are looking to do that as well here in Perth or, or Western Australia, um, including regional Western Australia. Um, and you can see then once you have that, then you mm. can go to the next step. You see, you can every time you go further down, you can then go the next step because yep. you've got the feedstock that goes into that mm. second, that, that, that next process. Is wind, because I, I actually worked at, I think I think last time I spoke to you, I was at Agnew, um, sure. which is obviously very yeah, very that. famous for the their yeah, wind the wind turbines and solar yeah. solar farm. Is wind and solar looking like the most prominent forms of renewable energy? We're going to see. Or we're going to see some new ones sort of making their their way in. Are they going to be the two major ones still? That they will be the they'll be the two main sources of what's called primary power. So the the actual energy itself. But you might convert it into something else, like hydrogen, mm. uh, because uh, sometimes it'll be easier to transport the energy as in the hydrogen form, mm. and then use the hydrogen uh, for the energy rather than directly using the energy itself. Uh, but um, uh, there, there are lots of exciting ways of of combining renewable energy with storage to do new things. And um, here in the southwest, we're looking at what's called pumped hydro, where you take all that daytime solar and pump water up a hill, and yeah. then at night you let the water out again through a ah, turbine I've, and I've create electricity. That, yeah. yeah. So that's, a, that's for, you know, that, that, is, that is using renewable energy to produce energy at another time. So it's yep. what in, in the energy sector we, we talk about short-term storage, which is like a battery, and then we talk about what we call either long-term or deep storage, which is like uh, hydrogen or... Um, Pumped hydro. God, how would you think of all this stuff? There's some bloody <laughs> smart people out yeah, there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, fortunately and for me. And sometimes the simplest way is then just send the water up there and bring it back yeah, down. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm lucky <laughs> because I've got all these clever people who work yeah. in the government departments and uh, at Western Power and Synergy and Horizon Power who explain all this to me. And as a layperson, I'm really pleased they take that time. <laughs> oh, you get to fly the flag and take all the credit after oh, you yeah, like that's, that. that's, that's the idea, isn't it? Um, in our la previous, last interview, which was a while, a couple of years ago now, I think, um, your, your exact words, whether you – I should have played the read, oh, the, the right, snippet of it. Hydrogen is the future. Yeah. And then WA is the place for it with, as I said, the research side of things. Yeah. Compared to when I spoke to you then a couple of years ago to where we are now, where's – Where's high, what's been happening in yeah, the hydrogen so, industry and look, where are we at? Yeah, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't see the hydrogen industry, but there's so much work going on. So I'll just give you the example of the, what's called the Asian Renewable Energy Hub, which is uh, just north of Port Hedland. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that project's been working away, getting itself ready. And now BP has come in and bought 45% of the project yep. and taken over the operations. And if you think about it, you know, BP is one of the, you know, the big major uh, energy companies already. So if they're interested, if they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars, you know the industry's moving yeah, It's definitely forward. not in their core business. They're well, if you think about it, their core but business- But it will become that. Is, yeah, their core business is energy. They've done it through oil and gas up till now, mm. and now they're looking at it and saying, what's, what's coming next after oil and gas? Mm. And they're saying hydrogen. That's why they're investing. The other really exciting one is what I talked about before with the green steel. Um, you know, we have 
Asian companies coming to talk to us about how they'd like to do their renewable energy bit in Australia and then use the hydrogen to make uh, uh, either um, pellets or uh, pig iron and then take it to their own plants in their home country for making the steel. So that's very exciting. I mean, you're talking billions and billions of dollars of investment. So we we'll just explain everyone and myself, pellets. What pe pellets pig on are they okay. a stage before the pure steel? Yeah, what, so, how does that all work? Yeah, so what happens at the moment is um, uh, you use a blast furnace. And so um, uh, basically, you know, I'm not a chemist again, but, you know, you take the iron ore from the Pilbara and uh, you put it into a blast furnace. You, uh, you heat it up to incredible uh, temperatures using... Um, you know, natural, uh, you know, coal and uh, and 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 natural gas, and you melt. You just melt out all the impurities out of the steel, and that you throw that away, and then you get the iron that's left over, and then you turn that into steel. So, um, but that that is very uh, carbon intensive. Uh, the iron making uh, iron and steel around the world is about eight percent of all carbon emissions around the world. Mm. So uh, there's a different process you can use. That uses an electric arc furnace, which melts the the iron, but you can't put iron ore into that. You have to have it already. You have to have it made it into something else. Mm. You have to either make it into uh, pellets, so that you've removed all the impurities before it goes ah, into, right. the, yep. into the into the um, the electric arc furnace. But because it only uses electricity instead of natural gas, that process can be done using renewable energy, which means you don't have all those high levels of carbon emissions. But you have to make the pellets, yeah, and so you you can do a number of different ways, but one way is to use hydrogen to do that, and so you can make hydrogen using renewable energy, which is why people are talking about doing that here in Western Australia. Yeah, and then export and sending the pellets, selling the get, pellets, and yep. you and you could the next step would be to make pig iron, uh, which is just iron before you make into steel, uh, and again you can use um, renewable energy to do that. So again you could do that here. And once again, you'd send the pig iron off to the Asian steel mill to make the steel. So it's a good way of partnering because you don't want to compete with your, your customers. Right. You want to be in alignment with them. Mm. And this is a way. So there'd be billions of dollars of investment, thousands and thousands of jobs, hundreds of ongoing jobs, highly skilled workforce, mm. um, but the same type of guys that currently working in our industry, mm. they could very easily work in that industry. And because it's not labor intensive we can keep paying people top dollar and still provide uh the output at, at a good price the australia must be very 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 attractive as a global partner to so many countries because like, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the minerals the minerals hub we've got here and then yeah as, as you said you're not going to australia's not going to take on other countries um it must be overwhelming all the wheeling and dealing that would be happening and getting yeah. approached all the time for these Partnerships. There, there are there are alternative places around the world for us, um, but uh, because when it's about the energy, not the iron ore, mm. it's it's a different um, uh, risk. You know, it's a different profile. Um, but we think that Western Australia is probably the best place in the world to mm. do renewable energy. We've got, you know, the Pilbara's the sunniest place in the world, uh, and a lot of places around Western Australia are very very windy, yep. and so we can get what they call capacity factor. That's how much, how many times your wind your wind turbine is actually producing electricity? Mm. It's very high here in Western Australia. Like you used to talk about Agnew, that's mm. an example of a of a place that really does well with its wind resource. 
So we just think that it's a good place to make mm. renewable energy and if you can make renewable energy cheaply, mm. then it's uh, uh, these new industries that are using energy as opposed to other inputs, yeah. it's a good place to do it. It's, uh, it's unbelievable to think of what that renewable energy, the output of it, of don't quote me on the exact figures, but I think at the I think at Agnew the right conditions, right weather conditions, that the renewable can power up to seventy percent of the mine site yeah. at the right wind and temperature settings. Like that's yeah, uh, that is the, unbelievable. It's like, amazing, isn't it? Fifty five percent of its total annual total on average is is now from renewables, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. Yeah, um, yeah. So it just shows you what you can do. That you know the the. <laughs> This is one of the challenges with renewable energy is it's very hard to go up to 100%. Yeah. And so um, the good news is that natural gas generation works really well with renewables and we're mm. very we're very big on natural gas energy in WA. So it's an ideal place. So is natural gas going to be look like it is going to be the long-term reliable base load power source? Um, it'll be what we call in the in the business firming. So that's when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. Where do you get your power from? Yep. The first one is from storage, but sometimes you run out of storage. Yep. So then you have the backup of the of the gas. Yep. In the long term, the gas up will be the the backup will be hydrogen. So that's why hydrogen is still the fuel of the future. But in the meantime, we've got all that natural gas to use. Uh, the what are we? Jet charge. The EV so, charging investment in WA, the uh, I guess the the electric petrol stations you'd call yeah. them. Um, I saw, yeah, yeah, saw that on uh, LinkedIn the other day. Big yeah, investment so, going into that. Yeah, it's good news that we're what we're doing is um, filling the gaps early. Yeah. We we know the private sector will get here, and you're just in the same way as the service stations in the future, you'll have all these companies providing charging stations. But in the meantime, we have to make sure people are confident that they can drive where they need to. So we're investing um, in these uh, charging stations from the Eucla, from Eucla on the border right up to Kununurra. And so basically every 170 kilometres there'll be a charging station. So we're trying to get them everywhere that people can reasonably want to go um, so that they can be confident that they can use their electric vehicle uh, uh, to get out to uh, regional Western Australia. Is it because uh, you'd imagine BP and all, all those in the future in twenty years, all these service stations will be, you could just they'll be look exactly yeah. the same. Will just be electric plug-ins, won't they? Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, most people, you know, I suppose you can charge it. You'll be charging it at home. Yeah, That's most the, people be, will charge. Yeah. Well, they'll be charging it at work as well because if you think about it, mostly your car is sitting still. Yeah. So you you can so in the future you'll have charging infrastructure everywhere. And every time you stop, you just plug it in, mm. uh, and that'll make running the electricity system a lot better because we'll be able to control the total amount of electricity going out of the system all the time, and it'll make it much more reliable and uh, easier to run. I suppose everyone, everyone, everyone that asks you questions all the time, it's like you need a crystal ball. Everyone's <laughs> like, "What is what is the future going to look like?" But it's um, it's. Who who the hell knows at the moment? Because yeah, it's so it's, it's such a different um, shift we're going through. Yeah, what everything's going to be totally different to what we what we consider normal today. Yeah, like you know what, but but we we can talk to the big companies that make cars and mm. ask them what they're planning. Mm. And so what all the big uh, manufacturers all around the world say is that either by twenty thirty or by twenty thirty five they won't be making uh, internal combustion engines anymore, and they'll be all electric. So we know. Mm that in between eight and 15 years' time, 
there won't be any uh, petrol cars for sale. So we have to make the changes yep. now to accommodate that. So um, I, in in you know in our planning for electric vehicles, I always say I'm not worried about the first thousand. I'm w worried about the first hundred thousand. So what what would it look like to have a hundred thousand electric vehicles? And we've gone off and mapped that. We've, we're trying to work it out. And so you know one of the things is not the production of electricity; it's the moving the electricity to where the cars are. That's the challenge. And so we're trying to work out how to do that because we don't want to have, like, if you just you could just build lots of infrastructure, but that mm. would be so expensive, it wouldn't work. So we have to have more infrastructure, but more technology to manage it all. And that'll be the trick: is to manage the demand so that not everybody's charging the car at the one second mm. and pushing up the demand for electricity to an unsustainable level. And that that's the that's the the future. And that's why it's so good we didn't sell Western Power. Because Western Power as a government organisation be able to manage that on a proper basis. Yep. Right. Well, that's the big ticket, the big one big ticket media item covered, critical <laughs> minerals. We'll get on to the next one, sure. um, which is, which was had a lot of publicity at Diggers and Dealers, unfortunately. Women in mining, gender quotas, sexual harassment. Elizabeth Gaines was very vocal in her speech about the amount of female speakers at Diggers and Dealers. Yeah. There was the the media articles about sexual harassment uh, at diggers and dealers. I suppose we we're in the we better address it. Uh, to be, yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be uh, you've got to so, give it the same attention as uh, as critical minerals. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look, um, and uh, I'll, I'll put my name out there because I I hate it because I know in terms of um, the where there's so much good things happening in the mining industry with women in mining and equality and the initiatives that are on site and it just <coughs> takes a, a few media articles to taint us all like we're like yeah. we're not it just yeah. takes it takes the focus away from all the good work that's going on sure but um i'll let you start you yeah can, no, you, you okay. might want to ask me questions about <laughs> this because no, i'm on the okay. ground floor sure look um you know, uh, our, our, the mining industry has 20% women in Western Australia. The one in five of the workforce is currently women, and we do have to get that up. Um, and um, it's not about taking something away from a bloke. It's about making sure that women get a fair go because mm. they haven't. And we, we all know that. I and mean, we've all heard or been told or, you know, met people that have been discriminated against. And I include in that being sexually harassed. You know, it's just uncomfortable to come to work if you don't feel com you know you don't feel that you're being treated equally. It's just not nice, um, and so we have to make sure the environment is open for women to come along. So um, I have for quite a number of years, even though it's only just been reported by the West Australian, pointed out that one of the ways that the industry could address that is quotas. Um, so again, that's not about being unfair to men. It's just about making sure that women are being given a fair go, and. Once you say, okay, our ambition is to have equal uh, employment between men and women, the next thing is you need to have make sure that women are being trained to do the jobs. Mm. So at the moment, um, you know, there aren't enough female graduates from the School of Mines. Well, what do we have to do to fix that? Well, one of the problems is that not enough women are doing uh, science at school. So guess what? You need to make sure that you've got a program to encourage women to study science at school. And the government's done that. We actually did that a number of years ago. So you can see the government's trying to pay our part um, and we just want industry to do its bit um, so that in the future um, we can have uh, a, a balanced workforce. So part of that has to be uh, stopping uh, sexual harassment, stopping sexual violence at work. Everybody mm. knows that all violence against women starts with disrespect. Mm. So 
we're all, you know, I'm a bloke, you're a bloke. What is it that we can do to show respect to women in our industry? Because that will help create the environment that will allow women to uh, to take their their share of the high-paid jobs in our sector. As I say, it's not about taking something away from a guy. It's about making sure women have their chance as well. Um, women are often not paid the same as men. So, again, I've pointed out that in uh, for the same job, mm-hmm. I've pointed out that there's actually a lot of research around the world that says if you uh, publish everybody's salary, then women actually get... Uh, Get paid better as a compared to the to their male counterparts because what often happens is that a, a supervisor will give a one off increase to somebody, not because they're trying to be discriminatory, but just because they've valued somebody for a reason mm. unrelated to their work performance. By publishing salaries like KPMG are doing right now, you close that gender pay gap. Public service, all of our salaries, my salary, everybody, mm. all of our salaries are published. We have the the public sector has a smaller gender pay gap than in the private sector, you know. These things are just sensible and they work and we know they work because we've done the the research in the past. So, again, I'm not saying we should take anything off men. I'm saying we should give an opportunity to women. And I'll tell you what, there's actually an example of how it works and that's the Labor Party. I joined the Labor Party nearly 40 years ago. It was a blokey club. Mm. Uh, then we introduced uh, gender-based quotas and now it's completely different. If you look at our caucus now, We've got more women than men in the in the parliament, but we've also got more people from different backgrounds in the parliament. We don't all look the same. We've got different experiences, and we're now valuing those different experiences uh, in the way that we did it in the past. I think we're hopefully heading towards a good generational shift in the mining industry. I know a lot of the yeah. like oh, I've only been in it twelve years, so a lot of the sure. A lot of the the so-called what you call old school mining people, like, yeah. and and mining was that like yeah. blokey back in yeah. a generation ago. That oh, I talk to um, people that have retired that have that were yeah um, in the, in that era, and like they got some of them wouldn't even let women work underground with them. Like that—that's that's what that culture was back. It was in actually day. illegal in Western Australia for women to yeah, work underground. Yeah, and like that, and that's and some of those people are, I guess, still in the industry or on their way out like due, yeah. due to age and that's like like all hopefully that attitude will be completely gone soon it's like still a little bit in there because some yeah. of those some of that generation is still in the industry i'm just hoping that um we're, we're at that point now where the, this new generation is through yeah. where it's, it's and it, look it just doesn't i don't even it's one of those things i don't look well i guess why it bothers me a bit like and a lot of us on site, we don't even acknowledge the difference between male and female on site. It's just we're all workers yeah. um, from from our perspective. Yeah, well, I started out as an apprentice fitter and turner when I was 16. Yeah. And uh, I was in an engine, re- engine reconditioning shop, uh, just small, you know, small, um, small work, workforce, about five people working there. There were girly posters on the wall. Mm. Nobody ever thought about it. It's just, of course, there's girly posters on the wall. In fact, they used to publish an annual calendar, the, the business that I worked in, with a topless woman on the calendar. Yeah. Well, that would just not even be like the whole concept of that is just yeah. foreign now yeah. because culture has changed. So, again, this is what I'm saying. This is about changing culture. It's not about taking things away from people. It's about making sure that women and other people can participate in our industry on an equal basis, and that has to start with respect. You know, uh, BHP, I think they said they've replaced 35,000 doors in all their accommodation facilities across the world. 
you know, wh why did we have to have a crisis to have them do that? Why is it that, uh, you know, the doors weren't put in in a secure fashion in this to start with? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's just we have to do better. Uh, because we want women to participate. It's not that we don't want men to participate. We want everybody to participate. Mm. And, and um, you know, setting ourselves a goal, which is what a quota is, it's a target, it's a goal, uh, is the only way forward because without a goal, how do you get there? So I'm not saying the government's going to impose anything on the industry, but a number of companies already have their own quotas and I just think that the industry needs to go further. Yeah, it's like like when you talk about fifty percent. Is that like is it even possible? Like the pure genetics behind the fact that <laughs> men can't have babies? Like, like, <laughs> like is well, it? Look, you know, in the end, yes, it is, and and the Labor Party's proof of that. It took us forty years to get to fifty fifty, but we did it. Yeah. Um, uh, you have to set a target. You have, like this is as again. I'm not saying the government is going to mandate anything, but for a business to achieve equality, they have to tell us what equality looks like, mm. and that's a quota. Whether, whether you use that word or not, it's still that's what it is. So if the companies want to improve, they have to tell us what does success look like. And once they tell us what success looks like, mm. we'll, we'll know where they're going. That's a quota, whether they call it mm. that or not. Um, there are a lot of uh, contractors in our industry. You know, you work for yeah. a contractor. We, we need to see the contractors adopting the same sort of practices as some of these larger companies. We know that uh, a lot of people work in the in the junior exploration and and development sector. You have to make sure that those companies are, are looking at how they can engage on these uh, gender issues as well. Um, it's a better industry for it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Rio Tinto removed all their live work, so they don't now do any maintenance on equipment uh, where the equipment is in operation when they're doing the maintenance. You know, like major maintenance because what they did was they because that's a real big risk in you, you know you can it's easy to kill somebody if they're maintaining live equipment so they went through and they worked out how can we do that maintenance activity either by using a robot or by doing it another way and so they've been able to do that this is exactly the same what is it that we have to do to eliminate these hazards the hazard of being sexual harassment mm. predatory behavior so what are the steps that we need to do that and one of them i think is uh, setting some some ambitions for ourselves. Yeah, and it, but it's the same with anything, whether it's safety or sexual harassment. There's always um, you can have ninety nine percent of us, everyone yeah. doing a great thing, and there's one dickhead that ruins it for everyone. And Absolutely. then and you get the one media, and it's the yeah. big media article. And I, I feel like the media have to take some <laughs> responsibility for it because they once they find that one article, they just hammer it and hammer it, and we all get tainted with such a negative <laughs> a negative <laughs> well, um you know i'm not here to comment on the media what mm. i am here to say is that um we we have we know we need to, we know the things that are happening that we don't like mm. so how do we change it and we have to tell ourselves what what it's going to look like when we succeed and that's a quota whether you know like yeah. because it's we're saying that our current environment isn't good and this is the environment we want. We want more women in the sector. Mm. So we need to decide what, how we're going to achieve that. And we'll only achieve it through a systematic process. And, um, you know, it, it, culture has got to start with companies, not government can't impose culture on anybody. It has mm. to come from the companies and we'd love to work with the companies for that uh, for that process yeah i guess my message to everyone all the companies that are doing great keep doing it and and because it is it is making a big difference out there because uh, from from me underground um yeah. oh some of the 
females that you have working for you are just are awesome. You'd take them over the men because the sure. attention to detail yeah. and hard work, and a lot of them have got something <laughs> to prove, which is they um and they're just fantastic. So yeah. the more in the industry, the better. It'd be good to I think because what the figure that came out was eighteen percent of. Mm. Uh, school of Mines graduates was yeah. were female, so sure, that and, needs and, to lift. But it's the mm. it's the labour jobs as well that you yeah, want, want to encourage women yep. to get into, um, like underground and everything. It's that's look, right. Look, it's good fun. It's awesome. Plenty of plenty of God, There's female jumbo operators now, which we, right. which had never seen before. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the longer what we you want go, to see the more of the more qualified people that there are to share around. And you know, if we don't have enough trained women in in blue collar jobs, well, then what are we going to do? The government. Mm. We're happy to partner in the training mm. side of things to make sure there are enough uh, trained women to fill the jobs that we need them. And look, I've been down to the uh, to the op centres, the remote operation centres mm. for all the different iron ore companies, and talked to some of the operators. And some of the women that work there is amazing stories that they've yep. uh, you know got got to their spot. I've met uh, female drillers up in the Pilbara. Um, you know, I've met. Uh, uh, geos and other high-skilled workers. I've met underground workers. That you know, it, it's great seeing what's changed. It's just we need to change more. Yeah, I, I did have the idea ages ago, and it, I think it actually come into come to fruition at a mine site. Was have an on-site crash for a FIFO that we, if you can imagine, if women could, um, mothers could take their children to work, <laughs> that'd be uh, and yeah. have them looked after. Like there's like. You, uh, you never know what's in, possible in yeah, the future. Yeah, I don't but, know what's uh, possible. And, and women will, you know, in the end, people, families need to make their own choices. And um, what you're saying is let's give women uh, more choice. Mm. I 100% support that. Yeah, awesome. Oh, that's a, that's a more positive note to end on. Thanks no very much for your time. I really appreciate right. you having me in here and I thoroughly enjoyed the view. Uh, and I look forward to many more, hopefully. I look forward to it again. Cheers, Minister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.